you would stop. There's a chief taking care. Yes, she stands on the high cliff. Her name's Tsagagala, she who watches. What about the cheese cave? Is that... So that's he, more here in town. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's so as... where have you heard about that one? Go back to town to the post office uh-huh. and take that road all the way. Stay straight when you turn. Where have our mythologies gone? Our fairy tales, our allegories. Where are our folk heroes? More and more, I think, as a society, we've abandoned this tradition. An allegory, quite simply, is a story that has a hidden spiritual meaning that transcends the literal. It's a symbol. It's a story we continue to retell to help us understand history, nature, custom. I think for me, it's the last of those that resonates so deeply. More and more we use science to peer behind the membrane of nature and to understand the world around us, but there's something inside us that's neglected in so doing. Story is the sinew that binds our society. It's how we teach. It's how we learn. And how we define ourselves. Stories are the tools we use to form our identity, both as individuals and as a society. For what a tremendous burden it is to be self-aware. One made all the worse by a lack of mythos. At the moment, we had been underground for five hours. I had begun to have questions about the level of propane in the lantern, whose constant hiss had been my companion up to this point. A prepared caver should have at least three lights on them at all times. And while my main light source may have been running low, I had at least two others prepared. But the thought starts to dwell in your mind. If the light goes out, what will you do? The jagged edges of the cave, the rough terrain, the unknown climbs and drops. You realize for the first time, at some point, just how much you are at the mercy of the light. For if you lose it, your options are to crawl out on the jagged razors of the floor or to slowly die in the abyss. As the thought was taking root, Ben and I rounded the corner, and there it was, a window on the floor of the cave. I could see snow and mountain peaks, frost-covered pines, Just like in the legend of the man who goes down in the cave, it was a perfect, smooth window to somewhere else. As we got closer, I saw it for what it was. 
a puddle on the floor of the cave, lit by a single shaft of light, a false exit in the ape caves. We had another 150 yards to go before we would reach the actual exit. When you finally arrive, there's a steel ladder that goes up to what looks like an impossibly small exit. When we emerged, we did so to an alien world. When we had entered the ape caves, it was almost spring-like. Honeyed sun poured through the pine boughs, and there wasn't a single snowflake on the ground. Now, all around us was ice and snow. We had emerged in a different time. Roughly a thousand feet of elevation gain and two miles away from where we started. Oh, me eyes! <laughs> so bright. Your headlamp is still on. <laughs> My headlamp that contributed very little. <laughs> How was it? Oh, I love it. A must do for PNWers. I would do that again. Naked and drunk. I believe him. <laughs> we got back on the road again. The ape cave had been the first of our six, and we started with what we thought would be the grandest. We now made our way south, along the Columbia River, on our way to the Cheese Caves. We made camp that night in the car. Pulling over at a roadside stop, we bunked down for the night, very near to a petroglyph park. While we didn't stop there, there is one of the most famous petroglyphs in the world. It's called She Who Watches. First Nations elder Ed Emo is a storyteller. He tells the legend of coyote wandering the earth, telling everyone that the world's going to change and that women will no longer be chiefs. Coyote was walking up and down the river telling the chiefs, the world's going to change over. Women aren't going to be chiefs anymore. There's a place between Dallasport and Wishram. It was called uh, Spearfish Village. I remember the village. I used to go and play on the high cliffs when I was a little boy. Coyote stopped as a chief taking care. Yes, she stands on the high cliff. Her name's Tsugagala, she who watches. So Coyote climbed the high cliff and said, Tsugagala, the world's going to change over. We're not going to be chiefs anymore. Why do you like to stand up here? I like to stand and watch when people see that they have no food. I like to stand and watch when people see that they have good shelter. That's why I watch people see that they live in peace. I can watch him when people see that good things happen to him. He said forever that will be used his power, change it to the petroglyph, when they call She Who Watches. That's a wish room legend. I don't know why, but that story drifted around in my head that first night. As we were making ready to go to sleep, the hiss of the propane lantern echoed in my head. Interestingly enough, at the same time, Ben turned on a brown noise app that helped him sleep. I didn't think of it at the time, but later I realized it sounded just like the propane lamp hissing in the dark. Like your brown noise machine. I like the brown noise. It's better than, it's not as, it's not as harsh as the white noise. Yeah, white was too harsh. We stayed that night on the bank of the Columbia River. And as the sun rose the next morning, 
we made ready to head for the town of Trout Lake. Trout Lake is significant because it's the location of the Cheese Caves. I had first heard of the Cheese Caves when doing online research for caves in Washington State. It's one of the few, surprisingly, that actually shows up. This is what I know about it. While the cave was originally discovered in 1880, it wasn't made famous until 1940. The conclusion of World War I left the United States feeling that it needed to rely on its own resources in the future, after certain items could no longer be imported from Europe. Listed among them was Roquefort cheese. Originally from a region in southern France, Roquefort cheese is world famous. In the 1920s, the U.S. government put together a special commission board that went around the country looking for caves with conditions similar to the ones in Rockford. In 1940, they found it. The Cheese Caves in Washington State were owned by Homer Spencer and his wife Dahlia. Dahlia had been left the land by her parents, Wade and F.E. Dean. Originally, the cave had only been used as a potato cellar, or to give the occasional tour. It was Homer Spencer who had the idea of using it to age cheese. As it turns out, the cave is at a similar latitude to the one in Rockford, and as all the necessary conditions to grow the special mold that gives the cheese its taste. So Homer and Dahlia went into business together. With the blessing of the U.S. government, they started the Guler Cheese Company, and it was wildly successful. For the first few years, they were producing over 2,000 wheels of cheese per go. And that's when everything went wrong. Homer and Dahlia ended up in a messy divorce. One that went all the way to the Washington State Supreme Court. The final ruling was that Homer would have to continue to operate the business at a cost. One-third of the profits from the Guler Cheese Company would continue to go to his ex-wife, Dahlia, and she was under no obligation to perform any duties whatsoever. Faced with this mandate from the Supreme Court, Homer disappeared. Now, years later, Ben and I were in Trout Lake, trying to track down his legacy. However, as is often the case, what we went looking for is not initially what we found. When we arrived at the small township of Trout Lake, we found it completely socked in with snow. The road that we had been told would lead to the cheese caves was blocked in. We saw some locals at a farm and decided to pull over and ask for directions. Go back to town to the post office. Uh -huh. And take that road all the way. Stay straight when you turn. Follow it all the way out and then it gets onto gravel. The road will go this way and this way. You want to go this way. Okay. And it's only like a mile. Oh, easy. To walk. Well, that's not bad. So we go back to the post office. <coughs> and go straight. And turn to the right. Okay. And stay on that road. And it will follow. You will zigzag. Awesome. And then <coughs> it'll eventually turn to gravel and we go right to, again. To the right. Perfect. And it's right. And it's easy. And you just follow the road. Awesome. Unless you. Unless I want to hike through a mile of, uh, 
or like four miles of snow out here? Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's up to you guys. Awesome. You know, thank you so much. Uh-huh. Take it easy. Next, we made our way to the ranger station, where we got the bulk of our information. Morning, sorry to hey, take you for off the phone. Awesome. I didn't do anyone on, on Monday. And, uh, it was a boring day. No, we've, we've already doubled your. Yeah, exactly. I can just like lock up after this. The ranger pointed us in the direction of the Guler Ice Caves. Now, I had heard of them before, but I had mistaken them for the cheese caves on the online research because they're so close to one another that any Google search will give you misleading information on one or the other. Just to clarify and set the record straight, the Guler Ice Caves and the Cheese Caves are different. Both are lava tubes and both are just outside of Trout Lake, but they're not the same cave. We're rapidly becoming familiar with it. Okay, great. So we're right here in Trout Lake at the ranger station. So if you take a left out of our parking lot, um, just <clears throat> continue on the road up about five miles, and you're going to see Atkinson Snow Park. Um, and you can park there and then take the trail into there. Cool. What about the cheese cave? Is that... So that's he, more here in town. Yeah. Okay. Up road 80s. No, what is it? 86. It's so as... where have you heard about that one? Just do online. your research. Yeah. yeah. Research. We yeah. talked to some locals nearby and they said the easiest way mm -hmm. would be to go to the post office. I'm not even sure uh -huh. what that is. And yeah. then follow the road back. Like Jennings Road. And we yeah. could get about a mile away um, from it. Uh-huh. And then hike in. Oh, right, with the snow. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But this one, okay. this one sounds good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, we didn't really know anything about the cheese caves and the ranger kept pushing us in the direction of the ice caves. Not to mention, Ben was mostly interested in the ice caves because the visual aspect would make better photos. So he made the decision to forego the cheese caves altogether and just go to the Guler Ice Caverns. Today's adventure brings us to the ice caves. So we came up here looking for the cheese caves, uh, which are somewhere out here in these woods, and we might hit them later. But we definitely uh, heard from the locals and the ranger that the ice caves are the ones to check out. And apparently people haven't been down there in a long time. So we're going to go check out how it looks and then report back to the ranger station with uh, whether or not there's ice down there. True intrepid pioneers. Rodeo cowboys. Adventurers. Men of action. Philanthropists. Mm, yes. <laughs> Following the ranger's directions, we hiked about a mile through the snow, following blue diamonds on the trees, until eventually we saw a vast opening in the earth. While not as large as the ape cave opening, it was still massive, and had a wooden staircase leading down into a wonderland of ice. I will say this, the ice cave lives up entirely to its name. This is so incredibly slick. And there are massive icicles hanging from the ceiling, which, yes, we're being careful not to let drop onto our heads. All around us was a chamber that was entirely ensconced in ice. Icicles slithered down from the ceiling, and all along the floor and the stone benches, icicles grew up from the ground. Some of them had turned into small globes, 
In some places, the water dripping down was warmer than the frozen ice and would hollow out some of the icicles into fish bowls where the interior would be flowing water while the exterior remained frozen. It was absolutely surreal. Not unlike the ape caves, the Guler ice caves were also a lava tube, though not from St. Helens, but local Mount Adams. The main difference is the size. While the ape caves extend over two miles, the Guler ice caves run only 650 feet. The true magic of the ice caves, however, is that they are low enough that they trap cool air flowing in. The combination of cool air and cross breezes causes a freezing effect, so that year-round there's ice inside the caves. Originally, the caves were used by First Nations people to store huckleberries and food throughout the year. Later on, white immigrants would come to the area and harvest ice from the cave and then take it across the Columbia River by barge for the town of Hood River to use in drinks. Both Ben and I were impressed by the ice caves, but we weren't blown away as we had been by the ape caves. The size was not nearly so daunting, and while the ice was spectacular, it was really only one chamber. One thing that truly set the place apart, though, was that there were several occasions where we had to remove our packs and crawl through tiny openings to get into the next chamber. If I had to pick one feature that truly stood out to me, it was the ice globes that began to fill with water, making small fishbowls along the floor. The sound of the drops echoing inside them and the pure majesty of nature in them made the trip worthwhile. But we were both hungry for more, so we decided to track down the mystery of the cheese caves. Did you know? Get my, my second fix. I've become a cave addict. Just all about subterranean things. We struck back on the road, and following the instructions from the local we met in the morning, we followed an old forest service road past the post office. From there, we sort of guessed. Following the power lines north, out through the forest, we eventually came to a massive hole in the ground. It isn't what we expected. All of our research online led us to believe that the old A-frame that was originally used by the Guler Cheese Company was still on top of the entrance to the cave and that you would have to go inside the building and then descend down an industrial staircase to get inside. What we discovered looked more like a lean-to built on top of a giant hole. Well, it took a, a small amount of investigative work, but I believe we found the cheese caves. Or we have found some horrible creature's den. Ben's about to find out. I fired up the Coleman and slowly descended down a rickety wooden ladder into the largest cave entrance we had discovered so far. The descent into the cheese caves goes down a 50-foot pile of rock. As you go down, 
the mouth of the cave opens up before you and it is impossible to oversell the size. 60 feet wide and 70 feet up, the yawning expanse looked like the sort of cave a dragon would dwell in. The size was staggering. This was the second time on the journey that there was a tingle of fear. The first had occurred in the ice cave. There had been a moment where I had set down the Coleman lantern and crawled through a narrow passageway farther back into the cave to see if it opened up into a new chamber. As I crawled through the narrow passage with just my headlamp and the sound of the propane drifted away, a sense of fear started to trickle up inside me. That same sensation that I had toyed with thinking about what would happen if I ran out of light in the cave. As I crawled to the very back of the cave and found the end of it, I was alone for one brief moment in the darkness with nothing but the sound of the drops to guide me back. That was the first time. This time, however, in the cheese cave, it was a wholly different feeling. It was a feeling of being overwhelmed by the sheer size of the cavern and the very real, palpable feeling that there was something else in here with us. Thank you for listening to Down Below Part 2. I'm Captain Chris Dottinger of Captain and Clark. Join us next week for the final conclusion of Down Below. Special thanks for the music and other considerations have been included in the links below. As always, a special thanks goes out to Tony Clark, without whom none of this would be possible. Until next week, 